Miles, I'm. I've been. I've dipped in a little bit of the blood. Um, but you know, it's gonna be okay. I just I'm a little sad because this is the last Forever Night episode. But I guess we're just we're just gonna have to we're gonna have to shake it off and talk about the final three episodes of season one of Forever Night. Hello, Miles. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Drew? I am doing all right. I shook off the the blood bottles, uh, so. (laughs) I, you know, this is probably the longest dive, I think, in the history of the show. Oh, it absolutely is. Yes. Uh, It's it's definitely not the longest we've taken to do a challenge, but certainly the longest we've spent on any one thing. That's still the lies of Locke Lamora, which took like three months to get through that book. But, you know, in Um, in a way, I I am appreciative of it because this was this was something that Miles and I, when we returned to the Morty Nerd after taking our our hiatus of however many months it was, um, we we. It felt like two. Um, we decided that we really wanted to come back and, and do a longer form challenge. And we, we were coming up with ideas for before we decided to revamp this show. We were going to do syndicated TV, TV shows one episode at a time. And after we have been through two months of Forever Night, I feel like what would that be? Twenty one episodes. Uh yeah. I, I definitely see why we would have done one episode at a time because, you know, doing these in large chunks, you know, there are some times where I feel like we don't do an, a specific episode enough justice or, you know, we have to make sure we maintain enough time, but also keep the show a little tight, um, which honestly, we, we're the we kind of complain a bit to each other about, oh, we, we took this long or whatever. This is the tightest the show's ever been. Yeah. You know, no. we, we come in around an hour almost every week and. We worked we, on that. <laughs> we, we definitely did not do that before. It was still like two or two and a half hour episodes back in the day. Um, but I definitely I definitely see why retro podcasts spend one episode per episode, because one, it's it's an undertaking to to get everything that you want to get. But also it can be a little exhausting uh, tackling three episodes and then getting everything you want out of it for for weekly consumption. Uh, now, if I was just binging these by myself, that's no problem. But I'm also taking notes, and we're we're you know sharing ideas and stuff, and and boiling that all down to a one hour podcast can sometimes be a, a little challenging because you want to get everything that each episode deserves, whether the episode deserves it or not is a whole other <laughs> thing, as <laughs> I'm going to talk about very soon. So. Um, well, well but I, I I'm glad that we did this. This is the the deep dives are something that we definitely wanted to do. Um, I don't know how how soon we're going to be doing uh, as deep a dive as we've done this this time. It's it will probably take a little bit of a break from the deep dives after two months. Yeah, we'll of, see. Of we'll see. Night. We'll see how this goes. We got a couple of months in us uh, before we get to I'm, our next big. I'm not deep saying dive. we're not going to do it again this year. I'm just saying it's going to be a little bit before we do something this long again. <laughs> that is probably true. Speaking <coughs> of things that are long, let's talk about the first episode of Forever Night that we have to talk about tonight. Episode 
20 fatal mistake. I'll tell you what was a fatal mistake. <laughs> the writing in this episode. Ooh, so to go through to, to a little, little summary, uh, Captain Stone Tree is at a. A convenience store that's yeah. getting robbed. And so what does he do as the captain of the police department pulls his gun on the the criminals who then shoot at him, then run off. And then Captain Stone Tree plugs one of the bad guys uh, who turns out to be a, a teenage drug addict. And there's a whole lot going on. Nick is t- thinking about it. Uh, he's he's seeing ghosts uh, because <sighs> I, I don't even know. I have I, I got I mean, this episode is hashtag problematic and it's yes, even for the time, because I'm thinking about the context. I'm like, well, you know, maybe this is just bad in a modern context. And I'm thinking, no, this took place a year after the Rodney King riots. So this was still a topic of conversation because basically Captain Stone Street shoots an unarmed kid. Now, there, there is a circumstance, but the, the crux of the episode is that Captain Stone Tree uh, kills this kid. And Nick and Skanky are trying to find a weapon that he says went off. And they can't. And they're a little worried, you know, about their captain because, well, you know, he probably couldn't see everything that, you know, and Captain's you know, older. He's he's he's, you know, well, yeah, that. he's he's. He's slowing down a little bit. And yeah, they, they, they think that he might have made a fatal mistake. And hey. this episode does not necessarily handle, even for the time, the content that well. However, what this episode does deliver, and one thing that I very much appreciated, and it made me wish for this to happen much more often in the show, is I think we get the first very severe and serious conversation between Nick and Skanky because they're having a conversation about the job and, and the taxing uh, nature of it. And just talking about all of the, all the, all the danger that is involved and, and talking about family and all this stuff and no one's cracking jokes. They're talking as partners. And I could have used this so much earlier because it's one of the best conversations that these two characters have. Totally. This is the perfect opportunity for them to not make a skanky joke or make have skanky be the butt of the joke or or not take it seriously. And and while he does kind of lean into the you know, you got to be tough for this job, you got to be hard, you can't you know, can't get soft because they throw so much at you and all this kind of stuff. He still I mean, I mean, Nick honestly asked him what Myra thinks about his job and how he might not come home. And there's this honest reaction of that. They don't talk about it. They both kind of accept it, or at least. I think that we accept it. It's it's we talked a lot about what would happen in a modern version of the show. And this is the first piece of dialogue that we have gotten. Or I would have I, I would see this in a modern version. It's it's real meaty character stuff. And I mean, I, I mentioned this to Drew as soon as I saw it because he watched this episode uh, before I did. And I, I, that was what I, I immediately glommed on to is I want more of this because <laughs> everything else in this episode is really rough to watch. Yeah. So let's let's get into some of these things. So we've got uh, 
Eddie and his buddy, Billy, who are the two, uh, they are young adult, both been in, in and out of juvenile hall and jail, and they are crack addicts because it's the early 90s. Every drug that bad guys did in the early 90s was crack. Uh, the, they, uh, Billy has a gun. They're shooting. And uh, and there is I want to say that there are some really good performances outside of things. For example, I think that when they talk to Eddie's mom, Mrs. Shore, that is one of the realest things that's ever happened in this show. It is. It's just too bad. The script did not match up to it. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. And then we the, have well, this because they flip flop the perspectives so much in the characters. They're trying to they're trying to talk about many different things. And they do it through the mother and having her kind of flip flop. In terms of at, at one point, she's super accusatory towards the detective, but at the same time, the conversation's victim blaming her son and his addiction. It just it. It's messy. Well, now that, that is not I, the messiest thing in the episode to no, me. No, it is. Because it you want to talk, talk about victim blaming. Uh, oh, the, we're going to. Mm. The the well, let's get into the the to the flashback, which barely makes any sense. Uh, before, the, the flashback makes no sense, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I want to talk about the the most hashtag problematic thing in this entire episode. Uh, so the flashback, uh, Lacroix and Nick are in uh, Renaissance France. You can tell because everybody's dressed like a musketeer. Which is pretty fantastic. They got the hats with the feathers. It's it's really great. And uh, they see this this barmaid, and Nick is like, "Oh, I, you know, oh, uh, she's she's hot." And yeah. <laughs> Lacroix is she's like, the "Cat's pajamas." And, and Lacroix is like, "Well, oh, whatever wine we order will not be as good as what's running through her veins, or whatever vampire nonsense." Lacroix says, "I do want to point out." They order and drink wine in this scene. So not every every food thing is uh, repulsive to Nick. It's weird what is and what isn't. I wonder if wine, red wine is just uh, a little closer to blood. It's red in color. It's why he likes ketchup. Maybe they're making a statement there. I don't know. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. This flashback is nonsense because there is nothing special about it until later. It is random person that he ate and which they're trying. They're trying to compare that to, I mean, seemingly not random person not, that not well that that uh, <laughs> that that chief stone or Captain Stone Tree shot. But that the comparison falls apart to me pretty significantly. No, uh, it falls apart immediately. It's it's a bad comparison. And uh, <laughs> what, what bothers me is that it's I'm sorry, it was Drew. I'll, I'll let you finish. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'm I'm about done with that. It's just it, it, uh, it's, it's frustrating. But but here I, I'd have to go back to talking about Captain Stone Tree because Captain Stone Tree's performance is different in this episode than it is in mm-hmm. in many other episodes where he seemed a little aloof, a little jocular, a little, you know, he, they, they do a little bit of comic relief with him. And in this episode, he's very stern, very grim, very much like asking Nick if he's ever killed anybody on the job, to which Nick says no. But I'm pretty sure we've seen Nick kill somebody on yeah, the job that, that, in this that season. That is a flat out lie. That is a flat out lie. So I don't know what that is all about. But um, he 
Stone Tree. Like, I think is, we saw him kill somebody in the first episode, don't we? <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, but Stone Tree is is uh, is haunted by what happened, and with good reason. The problem that I have is that at a certain point, it's proven that because Stone Tree can't prove that. Like, so the the bad guys shoot at him in the in the the convenience store. Then they leave the store. The captain chases after them. There are gunshots that we hear but don't see, and the captain fires to retaliate, which kills Eddie Shore, one of the two, one of the two crack addicts. The question now is whether or not they can prove that they actually fired a gun. Because again, the captain's older, he's losing his, he's been on the desk for too long and all this stuff. There's an internal affairs officer that shows up to, to the situation. Uh, which is about the closest. Hey, I know that face to anybody in this. That dude has worked maybe more than anybody else in this entire series. It's just on stuff that I haven't watched. He was on uh, <laughs> Defiance. He was on uh, uh, a number of things. Um, but anyway. But then so the captain is haunted and haunted and he's driven because he's going to go out and prove it. Da, 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 da. And then. He proved he finds out that they did shoot the gun and all of a sudden he switches from this brooding, sad, like, well, if it's even justifiable, then it's better than unjustifiable or or something like that when it comes to, to being justified in shooting his weapon. But the second that he's proven that they actually did fire at him, the captain is cocky. It's a oh, little he, gross. He is Charles Bronson all of a sudden, and it's bad i mean the acting is bad i've liked stone tree for a lot of this show but in the latter episodes he kind of pulls this weird stoic action movie delivery and it's it is it gets on on my very last nerve especially when he's just talking to him in platitudes of these just like stoicisms like every time he talks you can imagine him and sometimes you don't have to imagine him staring off into the horizon yeah, it, it, it's rough. And then he's confronted by because, of course, the Billy, the dude who actually fired the gun and, quote, got his friend killed in the captain's words. Uh, he starts to hunt the captain because he's going to make him pay for Eddie's death. And uh, it uh, this episode is it, it, it as it all turns out uh that situation gets solved because nick gets over his nonsense and say fly and literally flies in to save the day so the- speaking of nick's nonsense the entire time he is seeing this woman that he ate several hundred years ago this innocent it- this innocent bartender who wanted to travel the world but has never been as far as two towns over so we find out that Lacroix noticed that she wasn't quite dead and he turns her. So he hasn't Nick hasn't been seeing a ghost. These are not apparitions that have been haunting him. She is physically there kind of taunting him. And then she finally appears before him and claims, I'm, I'm not going to touch any commentary. But I just I was I was kind of I was eating my lunch watching this episode and I I had just turned my head while they were kind of yammering on in exposition and she just screams, 
you raped me and left me for dead. And I just like, my head just like snapped back and I just like, what? Like, I mean, when you've had 400 years to reflect on it, maybe that changes your perspective on things. I don't know. It was, it's a weird, no, weird... no, no, no. I'm not saying, I, I just meant the, the shock of just hearing that, that phrase. Yeah. Was it, it not the, I, I, I see it hundred percent where she's coming from. Oh yeah. And totally. then she, she, she tops it off with, I've been searching for you for a very long time. And I'm thinking not very well since Nick's been involved in almost every major historical event in the last 200 years. Sometimes televised. This is where I have commentary on these last three episodes, because these three episodes, not only did they feature LaCroix heavily in the flashbacks, as often happens, but these last three episodes feature LaCroix seemingly directly influencing things. They never go out and show you LaCroix sending her to go after Nick. But I wouldn't be surprised if that was something that that happened. Um, the the other side of the, yeah. uh, the the other half of that, though, is that she and Nick get in this huge fight and she throws a door at Nick and then she literally stabs him with a wooden thing. But I guess it misses his heart so he doesn't dust away. Uh, I, I don't even know if vampires dust in this show. I don't think they do. But uh, they burst into flames or he, he he says sometimes they disappear. It depends. Yeah, but we see that her body has disappeared in the fears that, oh, she could be coming back at any point. She she never she never comes back. She she does. Does she? She's in the very last frame in the background looking at him. I mean, in this series. Oh, 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 yeah, probably not. Uh, This show is not (laughs) known for for doing that at all. So, yeah, this this episode. Well, it does contain. Another thing that really bothers me at the end, the captain and Nick are talking and Nick comes in and tells the captain that, oh, uh, Billy confessed to the murder. So da 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 da. There's no murder to confess to. (laughs) The only person that got killed was killed by the captain. And we know that that was not in question. And they then they go back to talking about the captain killing the kid. It's just the weirdest line of dialogue in a weird episode that I feel like they just didn't know how to wrap it up. And uh, I'm tired of talking about this one. I, I I like the idea, but the execution was just not there for me. And, and, and maybe that's 2021 perspective, 2020 perspective on that. But it just it didn't well, seem no, I to think, be. I think even at the time it was probably clumsy. Now, if I were, you know, 10 years old and watching this. I probably wouldn't have thought twice about it, but you know, it's, this is an episode and and this will happen on a lot of syndicated shows where it's, yes, there is some, you know, side of the time, some tone, a lot of tone deaf stuff and a lot of attempts to talk about something that might be a hot button issue, which, you know, this would have been at the time and completely missing the mark. Mm. Um, what doesn't miss the mark for the most part is the next episode, 1966. 19 diggity six. We had to say diggity because the Kaiser stole our word for 60. Um, that's an, a misquote from the Simpsons, but that's okay. 1966. <laughs> this this is an interesting one because this takes place right before our last visit to Nick Thomas. So one thing I I I, I could well, have probably done without any of the present day stuff. 
Yes. Yeah, 100%. So uh, in the present day, this this episode is 90% flashback, 10% present day. In the present day, there's this crazy dude whose brother got arrested. So his response is to try to take the police station hostage to release his brother. Not the smartest thing uh, to to do. Uh, Also, not the smartest thing to do uh, when you're uh, pretending to be an American uh, is to sneak into East Germany, uh, which is what Nick does in 1966. He is in East Berlin specifically trying to find a a book called the Aberat which is a an ancient text which is known to have magical cures because he believes that is where he will find the cure for vampirism. He encounters a family, the Tufflers, who are uh, living in, in East Germany, in East Berlin, who are desperate to escape, and they are searching for a way out through uh, a number of, of tunnels that were were old but could still have openings that were, were, were not... Uh, not destroyed or were opened up by World War Two. And uh, and yeah. And so and so again, this is Nick Thomas. This is this is Nick as Nick Thomas, who we re- saw previously when uh, he was an archaeology professor in Chicago when he got uh, uh, run out <laughs> for for being a communist, which is very interesting because, well, if you go to East Germany, maybe people are going to think you're a communist. Yeah, um, they don't, they don't I, I, ever touch on that. That's one thing that I, I know that they probably would if they were to redo this show with a more serialized nature to it. But well, they also I mean, it is the first real piece of of timeline continuity where we see the same identity come up again and it connects with a prior time that we've already seen. What, everything about this flashback works a hundred percent for me i love the kind of cold war intrigue i love nick searching for a cure i love that this flashback isn't nonsense now does it really connect with the hostage story not really not really they try they try to do things like save the family and it's like oh i'll save the family save the family save the family I'm going to save your family. It's 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 it's, it's clumsy. <laughs> it's it's clumsy. They just needed to have the present day stuff in there for some reason. I don't um, know. Another, uh, another weird thing is that before before the flashback starts, you know, Skanky's complaining about being on the night gig. And he says three more nights and I'm off this night gig. And I kept thinking, isn't he often on the night? Gig the, the, so Nick. So Nick and Skanky are supposed to be day night partners. Skanky works the day shift. Nick works the night shift working on the same cases. The weird part about that, though, is that Nick and Skanky is always there. <laughs> Skanky's always there. It's it's weird. I don't know. It's, just a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very clumsy line. It made me laugh. Um, but I, I really I like a lot of what this episode does. I think the the actual story in East Berlin is genuinely interesting. So we have we have the Hufflers or the Tufflers, excuse me who are uh, a father and his two uh, two adult children who uh, the father works as a caretaker in this state library but in the basement of the state library is a bunch of old uh stuff that the nazis gathered because if 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 you've ever watched uh 
you know, any if you ever played a Wolfenstein game or watched uh, Indiana Jones movie, the Nazis were into occult stuff and they gathered a lot of it. And this was and Nick needed to find a way where this this thing was and couldn't find it in West Germany. So figured it had to be in East Germany and sneaks in somehow getting how did he get over the Berlin Wall? I don't know. Maybe he'll tell us. Maybe he'll maybe he just flew anyway and and ends up making a deal to to help this family escape West Berlin. Excuse me, just to West Berlin. And uh, and it's 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 interesting, like it's because they're not they they think he might be uh, a a a member of the 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 secret police there's all sorts of stuff going on it's it's i don't know it's interesting and like they they don't really mess around here like the only problem that i have with it is that they didn't change nick's haircut his haircut looks exactly the same no matter the time period lately and it, uh it does and and these last three episodes like if you take jeanette and nat out of the equation nick has a very specific type and all three episodes highlight these wafy blonde girls. He like, does. He all does three have episodes. A <laughs> all three episodes. <laughs> in oh, in the right. end of the season are are ex- uh, not that the actresses look exactly the same, but they are of a certain type. And but everything else about this works. I like that that Nick seems to genuinely want to help this family, even though at first he's a little uh, standoffish with them. And I, I like a lot of the movements, even so you find out that obviously Lacroix in town and tips off the secret police that an American agent is causing trouble. I have to be honest, and, I'm really glad we watched the movie, the movie pilot, because it feeds the idea that every 50 or 60 years, Lacroix catches up. up to Nick and that's yes. something that that they don't ever outright say on the show. He's just always kind of around. But this this actually lines up pretty well. The flashbacks in this one and even the next episode kind of line up pretty well and clarifies some of the timeline of what's going on. It does. It does at least kind of retcon a little bit of a timeline. And what I wish this first season had done, and based off what I kind of feel for the rest of the series we may get that if we ever choose to move forward i i wish they had established a little bit early on the core relationship between nick and lacroix at the beginning of their their friendship because we know that for a time nick was happy being a vampire yes and he slowly came around to being disgusted by killing and he wasn't as ruthless as Lacroix was. But I want I wanted to see some of some of that relationship so that we also understand Lacroix. Like why is he so obsessed with Nick? He's probably sired hundreds of people throughout the centuries. We've seen at least three in the first season. <laughs> right. So you have to feel like, okay, well, I'm sure something happened. So I, I would have liked to see that because it would have helped me. Like, why is he so obsessed specifically with Nick? Because he seems to leave Jeanette alone. Yeah, that's a very good point. He does seem to leave Jeanette alone unless he doesn't. And we just never see those scenes. 
I mean that that that's that's a that's a fair point. But I, I do what, I do I do wonder if there is an element to it that is. Nick was always the tough nut to crack when it came to doing vampire stuff. Possible. I don't know. Uh, but and there, and I, I love the actor that plays LaCroix. He just has this Udo Kier vibe about him and he does it so well. And there's a great scene where this uh, he basically tells the secret police, uh, the Americans mine. And the secret police tries to tell, you know, step up to him and says, well, perhaps we will interrogate you. And LaCroix just looks him dead in the eye and whispers, try and it's such it's a great. badass delivery it's, it's great. so good it's so good it's fantastic and and this is again kind of a it's a mirror it's it's interesting to me that this is not the final episode of the season that it's the second to last episode of the season because it mirrors the first episode so well nick is nick is looking for a cure for vampirism lacroix finds him and destroys the cure or takes the cure to keep it out of Nick's hands. In this case, he destroys it. And that that's so so interesting to me. I I, I think that 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 and 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 you're right. We don't really know why Lacroix is that obsessed with 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 Nick. And I uh, it's, he's it's almost like fa- a Batman Joker relationship. Like the Joker just wants to push Batman over the edge because he won't be pushed over. I mean, I do I do oddly think that there is some amount of of love there, like in a, an almost paternal sense, if that makes, I mean, which, which would yeah, track, which would track with the, the sire relationship, but we don't see that with anybody else that, that LaCroix is sired. And we know of, let's see, there is Alexandra in the last episode. There's Jeanette. There's the little kid when they were in England. There's, uh, uh, I guess the Baroness, because Jeanette says she never could turn anybody. So I don't know. they had made, to have been there. They made it seem like Jeanette actually did that. I don't know. Right. But she, you know, Nick never bothered to correct her when she said, oh, I can't do that thing. <laughs> you know. And and LaCroix uh, turned the. Um, was that, uh, Elise. Oh, the, in the, the very the, first the, episode. Yeah. yeah. She, so, she she vamps and disappears. and We never see her again. <laughs> So again, that is maybe the the least satisfying thing of the season uh, is that we know so much about LaCroix and Nick's history, but we don't really know a lot about like we we see events, but we don't really know their relationship yet. And that's gonna we're going to talk about that a lot more in the next episode. But let's get back to to the to 1966, just because I want to talk a little bit about the the family. And I want to talk about Bernhard Toffler. <laughs> uh, because that he's he's interesting in that he is the least trustworthy of, of the three. He also ends up getting captured by, by the Stasi, the secret police. And of course, that makes the, the rest of the family think that Nick has turned on them and 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 so all of that. Um but Miles, hey, I know that face. Whoa. Bernhard Toffler is best known. His actor, Christopher Kennedy, is his best known, as far as I could tell, on on IMDb for being the voice and live action performer of the Bill and Ted, Ted Theodore Logan. In the animated series and follow up live action TV series. Well, the second season of the animated series. Oh, because the first season had, uh, yeah, the, the original cast. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, that's 
pretty awesome. It's wild. Uh, uh, and uh, he also he also appears in Stargate SG one as most of this cast has at some point. Oh, th- that is that is definitely something. Every member of the cat like this. If you're on Forever Night, you are either on a show called ENG, you're on Tech War, you're on Stargate SG one, or you are on. Uh, uh, I forget the oddly not a lot of Degrassi per- performers. Uh, I was surprised at that. But uh, I'm not. The, these are older actors. Yeah, but the Degrassi had been going on for for years before that. Yeah, what that? I don't think I, th- I don't know anything about Degrassi. I know it came back later, so it's possible that this was just like in that midpoint when nobody was working on a Degrassi. I don't know. Don't matter, fam. Um, anyway, uh, so to get back to it, uh, wonderfully, Nick saves the day. He gets the 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 Tufflers uh, to uh, West Berlin, which looks an awful lot like uh, downtown Toronto with all the neon lights <laughs> and things. Well, you know, it's a coincidence because uh, it is. Yeah. So um, and, and I did I did actually like that Nick reaches out to them because because they do figure out. Um, the you know at least Lily figures out that Nick is a vampire, and yeah, and she see, well she sees him vamped out. Oh, that's true. So she figures it out by using her eyes to see him with fangs. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it's kind of easy to put two and two together at that point. Uh, but she promises to keep a secret because they say he saved their lives, and they are all three of them in 1992 are still alive, and uh, Lily has a family and is a, a defending her PhD or she's a, a she's a college professor. She just got tenure. That's what it is. Yes. Uh, their, I, their father is still alive and Bernhardt works for BMW. And we established he was a mechanic and loved cars prior to the so, episode. So I do love that the family got a happy ending. Um, I, I kind of wish that they had put the slightest bit of effort to make her sound 30 years older. <laughs> they do not change it at all. And I am very surprised that the father is still alive because he looked uh, about a breath away from death's door in 1966. Well, they, look at what they were eating, man. You know, he goes, he moved, they get out of, they get out of the Eastern block and all of a sudden they're, they're, they're no longer hungry. They're no longer starving. Um, I did. That, 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 that's a fair point. But um, I, I was very, you know, you know, she's like, oh, Papa's doing well. And I'm like, is he? <laughs> How? Yeah, I mean, it, well, let's think if he could have if he was in his 40s or 50s, he'd be in his. No, he looks older than that. I mean, he looked he's he looked ancient. Um, another thing about this episode um, in this episode, uh, Nick is offered this canned meat on bread and some vodka. And Nick turns his nose up at the canned meat on bread, but continues to drink the vodka. He seems to be disgusted by it at first, but that could just be like a vodka reaction because vodka is a very strong flavor when you're drinking it straight. And depending on the vodka you have, that that might be the fair reaction to have. <laughs> but he can he takes like the first sip he takes is like, oh, but he keeps sipping it in that scene. And it just made me think, hmm, maybe Natalie needs to just I mean. Put some. Me too. <laughs> uh, maybe Natalie just needs you to give put me a glass some, of vodka. That'll be my reaction as well. <laughs> put some. Put some ketchup in that vodka, or put some. Put some French fries in the vodka. Red. Uh, 
red wine. The, best and, is the, dad, and, the dad's like, oh, your American taste buds don't know food. And I'm like, I think it's the other way around, but all right. Well, no, it's it's that it's softened his palate to the point where they're starving. Oh, yeah. So they they right, right. they they they're not as easily turned away by food that may not sure sure sure. Better. Which I mean, if you've ever if you've ever gone a great length of time without food, that that's a hundred percent accurate. One hundred percent, yes. So that that honestly, nineteen sixty six. When I saw that this episode was coming up, I was like, "Oh man, they're going to this. They're going to do this," and I'm pleasantly surprised by this episode. Uh, it's honestly a top episode for me. It's very very good. I, I think it's I, I, I like I said, I, and there's a reason we haven't talked about any of the dumb uh, present day stuff, because it doesn't matter. Oh, the, ex- the situation- except, except that at the end. Skanky saves the day. Good yes. shot, Skank. Uh, Skanky does save the day and then calls the captain fat. <laughs> donut, bo- donut, man, donut scored the donut right there. Yeah, he 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 opened his mouth. Um, yeah, was I there mean, an episode earlier in the season where the captain had an arm, his arm in a sling? Yes, I believe so. I wonder if this episode was supposed to air much earlier, or that other episode was supposed to air much later. I don't know if they I, had. The, no. I don't know if they had the 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 the. No, yeah, because he got, he got shot by his old friend. Remember? Oh uh, yeah, you're right. He got shot in the same arm. Boy, two shots to the same arm. <laughs> don't tree gets shot a lot. Apparently. Um, he gets shot about as much as Nick does, which is which is yeah, hilarious. And he also gets uh, shot a lot for someone who's not an on-duty police officer. <laughs> <laughs> um no, I, I think this is one of the better episodes a- in general and I, I kind of wish the whole thing was flashbacks I, or at least the present day stuff hadn't been complete nonsense. Like it's a cool scene. Skanky has a good moment. There is some fun stuff, but it's 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 throwaway. It doesn't matter. The meat and potatoes is the 1966 story, and it's one of the very few times where I can say they completely nailed the era. They completely nailed the storytelling and what can make something compelling for someone who's lived a very long time. All these things, they get kind of ticked all the boxes in ways that for the most part, in these flashbacks of the show. They haven't done. Yeah, for sure. Let's turn our attention to the final episode of season one, episode 22, Love You to Death. Summary. A model who has been missing for months is found in a park. She has been taken extremely well care of. She only has very light bruising as if she was suffocated by a pillow very gently, very gently suffocated. She was then she was then bathed, cleaned, made up, dressed and put in a position as if she was in a modeling shoot in a public park. Which, if you just watch the cold open, you don't get any of that. It looks like a bad late night music video. And then it goes straight into the credits. And I'm like, what just happened? Well, until you see her just st- sitting there dead eyed. Oh, but, but she's that, that, breathing. That, is she breathing? Yeah, I, I think that was the actress's <laughs> fault. Not not any. I mean, oh, 100%. I get that she's supposed to be dead. I but saw she's an eye breathing too. It was that yeah, definitely and I'm, just, I'm just like, yeah, the wind's blowing. So she's blinking and stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's why I was like, what? what is this? <laughs> and so. This woman was a. Uh, I guess uh, they call it a classy lingerie model. 
They uh, had, Skanky had opinions about this. Um, <laughs> the, the, earning his name in this episode, Skanky had opinions about this and another model catalog and how lingerie this, is too revealing now. But, you know, and, and also one of the but at the same time, he's the first one to get the catalog in the mail. One of I, one of one of the best worst Skanky lines of the entire season. Uh, Nick, the key to any woman's heart to buy her underwear that fits. This, this, see, this, this reminds me of the beginning of the show, Skanky. I feel like Skanky at this point had graduated from being this character. And so I was honestly a little bummed to see that kind of come back. Um, but I personally. Also but he's also surrounded literally the, the half of the episode. The only scenes he is in in this episode are scenes where he is at a lingerie shoot. And you know Skanky ain't gonna handle that well. And he doesn't. He gives his number to like half of the uh the models. <laughs> so, um uh, Yeah, so then God. then we have the flashback. So I I wanna say, before we get into what is going on in this episode, I actually really like the present day stuff in this episode a lot. I think it's interesting. I think it's fascinating what they do. Uh, and this is the most like serial killer thing we have in this season. And that's something that I wish we we had a little bit more of. But if we go back to the flashback, it is hashtag problematic. I mean, I have I mean, I know I was I was kind of. Um, harsh on fatal mistake because of the problematic nature of this one uh, of that episode. This one is worse in a way that like there's there's nothing i really like in this episode at all and there's this it's one of the, it's one of the uh only other episodes where i said i hate this episode i i just <laughs> so in the flashback nick is a simp for this ballerina and like a creeper he goes to the ballet to see this woman like it seems like several times, 17 times. I think he's seen her no, no, like several times, like a day. Cause like, yeah, he's been 18, 19 times. And, and, and Jeanette is bored by it's like, Nicholas, just go talk to her. Yeah. And he's like, and, and oh God, this Nick is infuriating. I wouldn't darken her doorstep with my shadow. I swear if Jeanette had slapped him, she would have been so justified <laughs> for this nonsense. So, so this this is what they are trying to do between the two things. So in the in the present day, you have lingerie models who are getting maybe kidnapped, maybe running off, and one of whom has been found dead. There is another lingerie model named uh, uh, Lucy Preston uh, in the in the present day. Who? Oh, oh, by the way, is played by the same actress who plays the ballerina in the flashback. So she is pulling and, a double and duty. Jeanette notices. <laughs> and Jeanette notices. Oh, because they're doing the lingerie shoot at Jeanette's club, which means Jeanette is all over the place. Um, oh, oh, the, the, because this prompts one of the one of the dumbest things Skanky's ever said. You know, your friends club, the Raven, the Raven. Like this MFR doesn't know Jeanette. Or the Raven, the place that he was holed up when an assassin was trying to kill him. <laughs> My, what I think is very funny is that Jeanette complains slightly about having to close the club for the lingerie shoot, because otherwise, why would Nick be able to be there in the middle of the night? 
why didn't they just do the shoot in the day it's not like look at it's downstairs it's not like they could hit sunlight it didn't make any sense but anyway so uh so lucy and nick seem to have a bit of a connection you've got this weird uh like photographer manager combination dude who is always bossing around everybody and you got this little little dweeby dude named charlie who who's like oh i i dropped the the umbrella stand but we can bend it back out mr um yeah lucy's kidnapped uh and we'll go back to the flashback Um, i just want to talk about the flashback because i think i just want to get it all out because i think it's it's not great and it's 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 horrible Nick so, is the absolute worst. So in this Lacroix is also in this flashback. Lacroix, this is during one of the the later times that we see. Actually, this this I believe is what kicked off Nick turning his back on Lacroix and running away. Yeah, this 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 seems to be the the episode that like this is what caused him to completely break things off because Jeanette doesn't know why, and so she's this, trying to get him to tell the story. So this puts it. Right after World War One, right before he goes to San Francisco. That that's the it timing. Looks, it, it looks a little. It looks older, but that 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 tracks. <laughs> so the, the, yeah, I'm trying to trying to place it. So this is me trying to justify things. Uh, right, so, right, right. So Nick doesn't want to doesn't want to talk to Sylvain Rocher the. The ballerina Closest thing to an angel I've ever seen because she is so light and pure and the closest thing to an angel. And I am this evil, dark thing. We also learn at this point that Nick has transitioned from eating anybody to only eating criminals. Which is he's he's basically the Dexter of the vampire world, <laughs> right? Which again. Anyway. Um, Lacroix basically goes after Nick and then tries to convince him that, oh, you see all those people that she she tends to meet wink people in her dressing room after after the shows, sometimes two at a time. Wink, wink. And Nick is incensed. She would never do that. She would never. She's too pure. She's an angel. Da 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 da. And then she he goes back there, and these two dudes walk out of of her dressing room, and he goes in there, and he's Nick is upset because she's supposed to be this pure creature, and there are these two dudes that were just there, and and some things may have happened, and da 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 da, and and she claims that she's not pure. Because that's a weird thing to call anybody. And so Nick kills her. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and and then and then we learned that oh, also those two after she confessed her love to him for some reason. Yeah, that is a whole other thing that I don't know how to handle. Um, be, after that, uh, it turns out those two dudes that were walking out were other, two other vampires. LaCroix set all of this up. And Nick is furious and runs away, having killed this woman that he was infatuated with. And that is supposed to be the mirror for what happens in the present day. The difference, though, is that 
we're supposed to like Nick. And we're not supposed to like the other guy. So present day, uh, Lucy wakes up. She is in this fantastic looking hotel room, but it turns out it's a cage. Which that reminded me so much of daytime soaps from that time period. (laughs) It did feel like that. That seemed to be a recurring thing that happened. And so I kind of liked that it was a little cheesed up. But I mean, I thought the aspect I thought thought the case itself ran in an interesting way. I thought they did a really good job in terms of connecting the dots and, and making it a solid procedural case. I in comparing Nick to Charlie, we see the same thing happen where you know she's trying to basically get out of there. So she's like, well, come have lunch with me. And she Lucy, starts- by the way, Lucy is the smartest victim in this entire series. Yeah, they, but she she knows what's up. And so she she starts putting the moves on him and he's like, no, you're not supposed to be like this. And he tries to kill her. And but she she already had been planning to she sock him one. She smack. She lures him in because he claims that she doesn't that 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 the other the one before, you know, didn't give him what he wanted or whatever. And and she thinks that that means that he wants to, you know. Mm-hmm. that uh not what he wants apparently he wants you know he wants to protect them because they're pure and they're being taken advantage of by this industry um and so he does that by kidnapping them <laughs> and uh yeah and so that earns uh so so he gets uh charlie uh the the you know weird sort of side guy which um <laughs> hey i know that voice charlie you know, it's it's interesting. We are recording this episode in late February of the year 2021 and. An anniversary, a 35th anniversary of one of the greatest video game franchises of all time has just happened. Well, wouldn't you know it when I'm looking up uh, Charlie, uh, his actor, Jonathan Potts on IMDb. Excuse me, princess. He was Link on the Legend of Zelda cartoon in the 1980s, uh, as well as a number of other uh wait so th- we've had zelda and link on this we have had on the show then and link on this show amazing yeah amazing yeah wild uh that that's the that's the real anniversary here gang uh but anyway so Char- uh, <laughs> uh charlie gets hit in the head with a bottle uh lucy runs off grabs a coat thank you you are in canada it is always <laughs> cold there i'm sure uh, that is, the, again, Lucy is the smartest victim in the entire show. Um, no, she's very bright. Uh, but yeah, I think the present day stuff works. I think it's interesting. I don't know that they get too much. Like if this was a modern day thing, they would get into all of the psychology of what actually is going on with Charlie. Instead, they just kind of leave it as I just want to protect him. And uh, that's that's where it ends, because Charlie falls on a on a pitchfork and kills himself, which is just uh, a, a dumb death for a dumb person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is funny, though, is that Charlie, uh, he th- threatens Nick with the pitchfork. Nick breaks the pitchfork off. Creating oh, stakes. Creating a stake. <laughs> we already know from this show that a vampire can only be killed th- with a wooden stake through the heart. If he'd gotten stabbed with the pitchfork, he'd have been fine. But all of a sudden, yeah. Charlie is now 
increased in threat level once Nick breaks the, the pitchfork. It's so dumb. It's really dumb. And oh, hey, guess what? Miles, 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 you'll never guess. You'll never guess. You'll never guess. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's La- up? LaCroix is still alive. <gasps> or dead. Undead? Undead. LaCroix is still undead. Yeah. Um, the way that they present this information is not super clear. It's I get what they were attempting to do and create this kind of thing of like LaCroix is still out there. And I'm fine with them not explaining anything. That's okay. That's a, that's this is the end of a season, and they are the, doing the closest thing this time period does to some sort of season-ending stinger. But it's so clumsy in how it's executed that you're not really certain that you're even seeing the present. Je- Jeanette and Nick are are reflecting on on the past because Nick has now told Jeanette the entire story of what happened with the ballerina and because he had apparently never told her the story. And they're having this whole conversation. They're in Nick's warehouse apartment. And then we see this guy get bitten and blood drip down his hands and it pans up and <gasps> LaCroix turns around and he's across the street and scene so i i honestly expected more to come out of that and again i see elements that if they were to redo the show today the last three episodes in particular i would have turned way more into the story with lacroix and nick to Mm -hmm. build that up to learning that lacroix is alive because i think that works i just it it's so like it's almost there it's like they 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 had 10 steps to take and they took like six steps yeah i mean honestly if we if they had started this show today i wouldn't even have lacroix in the pilot i, I, I would, would also have him i would also keep him out of the pilot yes yeah i i would have him like thought to have been dead you know, and see I that would, in flashbacks, maybe I would have the Nightcrawler the entire season, but maybe with a slightly different mm. voice affectation so that Nick didn't figure out that it was a LaCroix. Yes, I think that, that that is a phenomenal idea, because in the first episode, like even though it's it's cheesed up, it's a genuinely effective moment. And one, just a cool thing of just like calling someone on the radio. I mean, obviously. We'd have to play it a little bit differently now. We can't um, get the rights to Bobby Brown anymore. Well, not just that, but uh, well, that's not in the show. Um, <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's, it's, the, the show gives you the same three songs for 22 <laughs> episodes. No, but but no one listens to the radio anymore. <laughs> so we'd have to find another way around getting the Nightcrawler out there. How, well, Nick's would still drive the super old car. And I doubt he's put the new radio in it. So he's still okay, only got okay. AM FM I'll, in the I'll, car. I'll buy that. I'm down with that because um, that car is a 1960 something, which is clearly the car he had when he was in Chicago at the time, which, again, is just a little, you know. A little, little fun piece yeah. of history. So we're wrapping up our 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 deepest dive yet, our, our the first season of Forever Night. Now, this is the show that we were kind of enthusiastic about going in. It was one that we were both very happy with winning the listener voted a poll that we set up for our September pilot season. So Drew, I know we've, we've shared a lot of conflicting uh, feelings the last month and a half. Uh, What are your overall feelings about forever night? Forever night is a show that almost gets there so often. 
But I have now watched so much of that I have become attached to the characters and the story that I'm kind of on board. Like, I still don't love every episode. I downright dislike actively a few episodes and a lot of elements of these episodes. But again, 2020 context. But here I am like, well... I just want to see what the production value is like on season two, you know? I mean, just, they probably got a bigger budget. It was season two. Uh. In our intro, they did it. I can't remember. Um, so I'm really glad that you said that because I feel this, I feel the same way. And this, this is honestly why I love so many of these genre shows because uh, the, these syndicated genre shows is like there, there is a cheese factor obviously going in the, 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 the budget, the, the writing, it's always going to be, you know, a little hammier than than most but there is this appeal and especially when you spend enough time with these characters you you genuinely you start to really love them like i love nick and skanky i love nat like i want to continue watching episodes with these characters i i I like and Nick, everything. Nick, Nick and Skanky have an earned partnership, which I love because that's something that like, I really do feel like they were way more and they had way more animosity outside of just the first episode. Like so many of these things, first episode, they have animosity. Then that they get over it in the very first pilot and then they're best friends for the rest of the show. They let, let those moments build to the point where they really do respect each other towards the end of the season. And I love that. I think it's great. I think that that Natalie is honestly the one that I feel like she needs the most development of all of the main cast, because I will remind you, she has been almost killed multiple times oh and remember that whole thing where her brother died and was then turned into a vampire that has never been brought up again yeah yeah like where's that like she's the one that seems to have a reset every oh and then oh and and a couple of weeks ago when she uh fell in love with this dude she met and that turned out to be uh a serial killer um Yeah, that whole thing. None of that stuff has ever been brought up or seems to have had any long term impact on her. And that's the one big problem that I have. They do a reset button with her every single episode. Well, and this is not me defending it. I'm just, as you know, from being a fan of genre shows from the 90s, that was the style. Even TNG. I I mean, you couldn't have super lasting things you could do it season to season but you couldn't do it episode to episode because if somebody missed an episode then oh what is going on i don't know right i mean like you can have the not the philosophical the uh psychological effect being turned into a borg has on picard in one episode but it's not going to be a continuing thing throughout the season well tackle it in one episode they tackled that one in three but uh you know what i mean <laughs> jeez um, that was also a, that was also a, a much better season finale cliffhanger than we got here on forever night but sure but it was also you know they had a little bit more money um but but a lot of shows from this time did that the writing style just wasn't as serialized and it, it's a bummer because 
Forever Night is 100% a show that would benefit from that. I mean, having seen this show, it is hilariously apparent that Joss Whedon copied homework from Forever Night because I always kind of being young and not having seen Forever Night just rolled my eyes when people compared Angel to Forever Night because I thought they were just kind of, you know, dunking on uh, the new show because it was for, you know, a younger audience. Having seen Forever Night, I mean, obviously there are definitely differences, but it is pretty much the same character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, who was the uh, 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 the the lady who wrote all the vampire novels? Um, Anne Rice. Like Anne Rice. Did she have anything to do with this show? I don't think so. I feel like she might like there's there's a lot of of DNA in in that, too. And I feel like these things might have been coming around, coming out around the well, same I mean, time. And Rice did kind of set the template for most vampire stories for a while. And. The thing that I, I, I would love to see if, if they were to modernize Forever Night was one, establish a consistent vampire lore, because. That is another problem is there are so many inconsistencies with how Nick's vampirism works and get rid of the have you just tried not being a vampire idea that that is still the worst part of this show <laughs> it is so stupid and it's one thing like i know i'm sounding you know pretty harsh especially for people who've listened for a while and they're like well miles loves everything why is he being so hard on this i'm just I'm the kind of person that also will be super critical about things that I really, really like. And I really, really like Forever Night. I love the vampire cop detective show. I like the the well-worn but goofy kind of half-conservative partner <laughs> that, that Skanky is. Skanky's all over the place, too, but I they, they do a pretty good job with him. They do he, a pretty good job with Nat. Yeah. Skanky is very much the blue collar dude. Like it's it's a it's yes. it's a stereotype for a lot of the time, but it's also they let him have heartfelt moments. They let him they let him be a good cop most of the time. Yes. Um so I think I think my concluding thoughts about Forever Night is especially for the time, I think that in a lot of ways it has it's better than any has any right to be. I think that there is a lot of great stuff. I get why it had a dedicated fan base for a long time, why people wrote fan fiction, because, you know, the, the show itself didn't really deliver on a lot of its promises. You know, it, it gives you these ideas like the enforcers and then never uses them again. There's all these loose threads that, that uh, someone who has a creative mind can be like, oh, I could do something with that. So I, I yeah, get why there's sure. a huge fan fiction community i get why people were really into this game or this uh this, this show i was thinking uh how it might have inspired the the gabriel knight games um but at the same time you know it does show a lot of its age it it, it does have some very problematic scripts that you would probably expect to see from the time period and yeah. you know so if you are a modern viewer going in expect that that some of that's going to happen but for the most part, I have a very, very good time with this show. Uh, the the rock and roll vampire episode will Great. be something I remember for years to come. 
It oh, is yeah. time to rock, Nicholas. <laughs> oh, I also that, that reminds me when uh, in the uh, the last episode, I love when Skanky gives Nicholas crap for the way that Jeanette says Nicola, <laughs> Nicola, because she she always you know ta- talks to him in his in his older name and. Skanky's clearly aware that there, you know, there's stuff going on. Even though Nick walks in there and just plants one on her, Nick kisses everyone on the mouth. I know, but it's, this, it's the way that they they interact, though. I mean, again, and that's something that I would, I would, I would absolutely go back into. I think that there's there's so much promise in the show, and I really would love to see some very capable hands for a streaming service or HBO. Uh, or Showtime to really kind of get their <laughs> their fangs into it, and I think realize the promise that this this show has because I think there's a lot of it, and I think what we see is for the most part super fun. I get why this show was the the headline of a, a late night primetime thing, and I'm pretty happy that it was our first massive deep dive. Definitely. I am a member of the Skanky Squad, uh, CBC, CBS, Paramount, uh, Pop TV, whoever wants to do it. We're available. We'll help you do this show. Call me. Well, you got my number. You got my email address. I'm, I'm glad you said that, because last week I said that we had a very cool announcement in our last Forever Night episode and that I wasn't going to spoil it on social media, which I have not. So Drew and I, ever since we kind of brought the show back online, uh, you know, we have a new website. We've been tinkering things. So one of the things that we had not brought back was our The More You Nerd web store. And so we've been tinkering away. and. Not only do we have the classic star, the more you nerd, we have a very cool uh, NES-inspired shirt, which if you remember our old sideshow, Obscure Reference, uh, used a similar design at one point, and I am wearing one of the new shirts right now in the uh, tri-blend, because I really like those extra soft shirts. And then we are going to try to do one very special thing for hopefully at least every theme, but. Maybe not that often. So our first inaugural The More You Nerd thematic design asks, do you ever wonder what this crazy world is coming to? Is life moving, moving too fast? Do you have a partner who just can't be found during the daylight hours? Then you may just be a member of the Skanky Squad. Get those Skanky right. Squad shirts, gang. Represent. This shirt is going to celebrate... Our 2021 deep dive into Forever Night and Nick Knight's beloved human partner, Skanky. So we have Skanky Squad shirts uh, that you can get in a variety of colors <laughs> on our brand new website uh, or a friend store that we are doing through uh, Threadless right now. The more you nerd.threadless.com. And you can actually get these designs in not just t shirts. But uh, face masks, mugs, travel uh, tumblers, prints, um, you have a lot more options than just the the old T-shirts. 
because there's a couple things that I've been I've been looking at. Uh, I mean, you can even get the Moiner bath towels if you want. Please don't. I mean, <laughs> you know, or you can even get um, a Skanky Squad bath rug. Don't step on my boy Skanky with your wet feet. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> we are super stoked to have a, a brand new web store and and Drew and I have been talking a lot about it. We are going to hopefully attempt to have some sort of fun T-shirt, if not every theme as um, often as we can, as often as we can. You know, we are we are both not great design people and we don't have the deepest pockets. So uh, I will use some of my limited uh, design knowledge and maybe we can uh bug drew's wife who does a lot of our cosmic crit artwork (laughs) um otherwise we might commission some designs as well but uh right now we have three designs in our store at the moreyournerd.threadless.com and i'm i'm super psyched about it and i will put the links on our twitter and post some of the artwork as well as me wearing one of our new the more you nerd shirts on our our Twitter account, and probably our Facebook account as well. Yeah. So with that said, that is going to wrap up season one of Detective Nick Knight in Forever Night. But gang, you know what that means? It's time for what's happening next week and next month on The Morian Nerd. It's the third yeah. month of the year, gang. It's March. And that means Monster March right we are doing some monster march madness partially inspired by the upcoming release of godzilla versus kong coming at you from hbo max that'll unfortunately come out on march 31st so we won't be doing it for the podcast uh we will be dropping our last episode of the month for that but we are doing a slew of modern monster movies um drew and i talked a little bit about what we wanted to do for this challenge and Drew, you said you wanted to kind of a mixture. You wanted to have some classic elements and some modern elements. So the, the, the big the big thing for me is that we when we focus on monster movies, we focus so much on Japanese specifically monster movies, whether it's Godzilla, of course, whether it's, you know, uh, like Japan reigns supreme when it comes to the giant monster movie, especially. So I wanted to see what other nations uh, uh, came up with as well as, you know, looking at some, some, a, a couple of Japanese or a Japanese movie that is maybe not quite as classic as old Goji, old Godzilla, Gojira. And, and we are certainly going to do all of that. Uh, I think so far, uh, I've gotten four of the five picked out. Every single one is from a different country. And we're next week, we're going to do one of my personal, uh, favorites, certainly my favorite American monster movie 19 uh, sorry um <laughs> forgot the uh the date for a second it's 2008's cloverfield and drew you have never seen cloverfield correct there's a good chance miles i've never seen any of the movies we're going to be covering this entire month so super super exciting uh cloverfield is a, a 2008 found footage kaiju film and Directed by J.J. Abrams, right? Uh, Matt Reeves. J.J. Abrams is Did he kind produce of the, it? Yeah, he produced it, and I think he wrote it. Mm, okay. Um, it's it's kind of his baby, but Matt Reeves 
is the actual director of the film. This I is believe. the first time I'm hearing this. I mean, it's it's it happens in directors. I'm sure we'll talk about it next week. So that's well, I mean, Matt Reeves is, you know, no the slouch. Bat- he's the Batman. He's doing Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this one I'm really excited about. There is a lot of fun things to talk about, uh, some which we will go over uh, in the history next week, and some I'll just have to bring up because there was a lot of uh, ARG stuff that was happening at the time because in the mid-2000s, viral marketing was all the rage. I love bees, Miles. I love bees. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> With that said, that's going to be it for this week. Cloverfield next week, it is... Uh, not streaming anywhere that we can find easily right now, but it's about to be a change of month. So good luck out there. We are finding our own ways to see it. It should be fairly common out there to to catch it pretty much everywhere. Oh, yeah, you can you can buy or rent it from everywhere. Uh, by not streaming, he means it's not available on. It's, on, it's not on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, HBO. Right, uh, but it's again, not for, quote unquote free. But but so. We'll see what happens in a few days when the month kicks over. Uh, so in the meantime, if you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at themoreunerd.com. You can tweet to us at themoreunerd. You can email us themoreunerd at gmail.com. That's themoreunerd at gmail.com. Also check out themoreunerd at threadless.threadless.com. Themoreunerd.threadless.com. And until then, we say goodnight, Skanky, as we always do, Miles with a rousing nerd. nerd.